So again, I really want to express my gratitude for the opportunity to the elders, to Nate, for being able to teach this. I am, I, I am so excited. When I was approached by Brett to teach, I was just, I couldn't be more thrilled. And I really hope that you guys are excited about it too. This is going to be fun. This is going to be practical. This is, this, all of this, uh, all of this ought to be things that you can inculcate into your daily lives, in your conversations that you have with, with everyone. This is, not, this is not this thing that we do over here for fun, some intellectual gymnastics, and then here's real life. No, th this, is, this is real life because these are the real challenges that are at the doorstep of the church that, that you all are facing and that your kids are facing. So I have been studying apologetics for over 20 years. When I became a believer, I, um, I, I like to say I, I stumbled into apologetics, but we all know that that's not true. It, 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 it came about through the providence of the Lord, and I, I mean, I was thrilled. I had no idea that there was such a thing as, as evidence. I, I, thought that, I thought that religious faith was you put the adjective blind in front of it, and that was it, and, and you just... You just followed along and you just, whatever the pastor said, that was true. And, and when I realized, oh my goodness, there's an entire discipline of, of studying evidence for, for what we believe, it was, it was just thrilling. And it, and it started me on a journey of, of, of studying that more and more. And um, I'll tell you in this intro session what that has done for my faith and what it can do for your faith. So, um, and, it's, and it's really handy that I'm teaching this when, when um, Brett approached me, I thought, well, that's really nice because in, next month I'm actually gonna be teaching, I am a mentor with the C.S. Lewis Institute. Um, so I'll go ahead and I'll mention that right now. The C.S. Lewis Institute, um, for those of you who don't know, is a mentoring and discipleship program. I'm a mentor there, and I have been for a few years. And I just want to let you guys know, it, if for anyone who's interested, no, we don't just study C.S. Lewis. It's called the C.S. Lewis Institute because he was a layperson. And they want to train up disciples just like, just like he was a layperson and made an impact for the body of Christ. They want to train up lay people to make an impact for the body of Christ. You don't have to be in full-time ministry to make a significant impact for the body of Christ. So in case anyone's interested in that, uh, talk to me about it um, after the series or after the class today, um, it is there. It is tuition free. All that you have to do is buy the buy the books that you're going to be reading yourself. And we read things from. We do read some Lewis. We read Bonhoeffer. We read Zacharias. We read all sorts of different things, and it and it varies from year to year or month to month. But next year or next month, I'll be teaching the conversational apologetics class in May. So. So preparing for this class was really nice because I could I could do I could do both at the same time. So that's a, that's a pretty exciting thing. So for those of you, I, I haven't talked to everybody here yet, even though I've been coming here to Ascension for a while. So just a little bit about myself before we get started. I was born and raised in Indiana. For those Midwesterners here, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, well, I'm out here now. Uh, and, and I was raised in a Lutheran church for a time, but it, I'm sorry to say it didn't have any impact on me. Um, and so I ended up leaving the church, and it didn't have any impact on me, which is how I ended up having a daughter at the age of 16. And um, later on, uh, the Lord, through, through, you know, the Lord uses everything, through a lot of that, the Lord brought me to a Foursquare church, which is where I ultimately ended up getting saved several years later. Um, and so... I've done, I've done various things in my life. I've, I've uh, owned my own business. I've been involved in politics, running for office myself, running campaigns. I've been an editor. Currently, I am working part-time as a bookkeeper while I'm also going to school full-time to get my BA with an ultimate goal of a PhD in philosophy. So I'm doing, I'm doing all sorts of studying now. That's taking up a lot of my time as well as my daughter who is now 26, and I spend a lot of time with her and her son-in-law, or my son-in-law up in Snohomish, as well as my granddaughter. Oh my goodness, how did a picture of my granddaughter get in my PowerPoint presentation? How did that happen? She is so cute. Okay, moving on. <laughs> so, what is apologetics, and why should we bother with it? I mean, to be honest, I have gotten the most pushback in, in the course of studying apologetics. I've gotten the most pushback from fellow believers. It, I, I've gotten no, on, on the discipline of apologetics, on studying apologetics, I've gotten no pushback when I, when I talk to non-believers. Um, when, I, when I talk to believers, though, not here, not here. But, in, but in, in, in the past, over the course of my time studying, I'll get believers who will say, well, but that's just so intellectual. Where's your faith? And I'll just think, and for one thing, I think it's okay that apologetics, the study of apologetics isn't necessarily for everybody. I, I get that um, as much as I study it because we all have our own ways that God has gifted us and ways that God has wired us. And we all can't spend the same amount of time studying the exact same things. We all have our own. So I get that. But um, it was surprising to me the amount of times I've been criticized for, for um, studying this as if it's because of a lack of faith that I need evidence in order to just hang on so that my, so that my faith doesn't crumble underneath me or something. So apologetics comes from the Greek word, Jeff, apologia. Uh, I, I talked to Dr. Capshaw over there to make sure that I'm getting the word right. And he says, he says in his scholarly fashion, well, nobody really knows. So <laughs> that was helpful. <laughs> so we're going with apologia. So, so we're not apologizing for anything. It comes from the Greek word apologia, which means a reason or a defense. So you are giving reasons for why you believe what you believe. You're giving a defense of your faith because don't we all see all the challenges that are coming against us as believers? And there are reasons. We can give reasons for why we believe what we believe. And apologetics comes from, to begin with, 1 Peter 3.15, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense. There's that word. That, that is the word, apologia, in there. 
to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and with respect. I will confess that in my younger years, when I first started studying apologetics, you can get, you can get a little arrogant because you, you start to gain all this knowledge and you, and you start, and, and you'll find, as, as we go along in this course, you will find that for the most part, believers and non-believers alike don't know why they believe what they believe. They, they pick up sound bites here and there. This is across the board. And you ask them, you ask them a question, you point out a fact, and they don't know what to do with it because they haven't really thought it through. So you can pretty quickly think, yep, I know more than you. And it is not that at all. It is, the, it is out of love for the Lord and it is out of love for others that you learn these things so that you can talk to them, so that you can, you can engage them in conversation, those in your sphere of influence that the Lord will bring into your life if he hasn't already. That it's not, it's not in any way, I'm smarter than you, look how little you've thought of your own worldview. It is, it, it is you love them and you want to talk to them and you want to have an open dialogue with them and, and have an opportunity to share with them some of the things that they may not have ever thought of before. So it is an, it is an act of love. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your conversation always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. When, when you're talking with a believer, or a non-believer, sorry, isn't it nerve-wracking sometimes? Especially when you think, what are they gonna say? What objections are they gonna raise? What, are, they gonna, are they interested? Are they gonna listen? Uh, or do they think that it's just nonsense? I mean, in Europe right now, we, we have it a lot easier actually than they do in Europe. In Europe, if you wanna talk to somebody about God, you might as well, it, it would be like talking to them about the tooth fairy. That's how seriously they'll take you. And, and you think, oh, I'm gonna look like an idiot, I'm gonna feel like a fool, I'm gonna, but, when you, when you have the confidence to know that, that they may not listen to what you say, and that's okay, but you know why you believe what you believe, and you can, you can simply present it to them, and then it's up to them to do with what they want. But you don't have to worry about, oh, what are they going to say? I'm so nervous. I don't even want to go there because I don't. I because I don't know myself. So we can be gracious. We can make the most of every conversation. And I want to, I want to bring up a little thing here with Second Corinthians ten four and five that it, it's a passage on spiritual warfare that may seem a little out of place here, but really it's not. I'm going to read it. For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. 
We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. No, this isn't a class on spiritual warfare, but I would argue that in our culture, our culture is effectively a materialist type culture. And I, I, we're gonna get into what materialism is in a few weeks. But ultimately, our culture doesn't really, doesn't really believe in demons, doesn't really believe in the, you know, they, they, if they believe in the devil, they kind of picture the caricature of the guy in the red suit and the horns and the tail. It's, it's kind of a silly thing. Oh, oh, you believe in that. And so the enemy is perfectly content to let people just think he's not there, he's not doing anything wrong. And so falsehood and lies just continue and continue and continue and continue. And when we speak truth, that is a form of spiritual warfare. When we, when we just, when we're in conversation with someone and they say something to us that is not true, no, we're not nasty to them. No, we, we're, we don't hit them with a hammer. But when we speak truth back to them, whether or not they acknowledge what we're saying is true at the moment is irrelevant. It is important to push back because in, the, in our culture with the lies that continue to, to advance and advance and advance, we need to be speaking truth as we're out, as we're having conversations with people, as we have interactions with people. So I want to go on to why bother with apologetics, though? It's, that's nice and all, but, but why bother with it? And there are a few different reasons. One is the, are the non-believers and the skeptics that you will encounter every day. The word also says that the enemy has, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers and they are held captive to do his will. They don't, they don't know. They don't know the truth. And so because you love them, because you are in interaction with them, you want to share what you know. You want to share the truth of what you know out of love for them, because how else are they going to hear? I, of course, the Lord can, can break through supernaturally. He's doing that a lot in the Muslim world now through dreams and visions. He, does the, he can do that, but he wants to use us, and if he's brought us into their lives, then we ought to, be, we ought to present them with truth. Now, one word on this, I had to learn this the hard way. You are not the Holy Spirit. Really. <laughs> it, regardless of what they do with what you present to them, they could completely reject it. A lot of times they will. But it is the Holy Spirit that changes the heart always. You do your part. The Holy Spirit does his part. And that's okay. It takes all the pressure off of you. All you have to do is make the most of the time that you have, and the Holy Spirit does the work to change the heart. So I want to encourage you, as you're learning these things, it, it's easy to fall into the trap of, oh, I need to say this to Aunt so-and-so next time. Oh, I need to, oh, I should have said that, and what if, they, what if they don't get saved because I didn't say that thing to them? I need to, 
the Holy Spirit's got this. You, you do your part, the Holy Spirit will do his part. The second reason we bother with apologetics is our kids. Our kids, if you're not aware, are under the greatest assault. In, I mean, and this is not just in college, this is down into middle school and elementary school to the extent that they can understand these things. But certainly middle school on, they, from their peers, from their teachers, from culture in general, they are facing, unless you keep them in a Christian bubble, which I really don't recommend because eventually they're gonna get out into the world and it's gonna be a rude awakening if they haven't been prepared. So because you love your kids, and because kids, when they go off to college, are rejecting their faith at a rate of about 75%, give or take. It is because of this that we want to, we want to prepare them. We want to let them know. And they might, you know, kids, kids they're, they're in their own world. They listen to their own things. And they're not necessarily going to listen to everything. But they're going to know. When they, when they are with their friends and their friends are making derogatory comments or when they're in college someday or even in high school and their teacher or professor are making these comments, they're at least going to remember, oh, you know what? I heard something. I, 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 need, I need to find out because I think that there's answers for that. Because right now, if they're not even exposed to the answers, they're going to have no idea. And when they go out and they listen to a professor, you know, the guy with the microphone always wins. When they listen to a professor and they look up to them and, and the professor's so smart and they think, oh, you know, that, that professor, boy, he or she made a really good point there and, and I've never heard anything against it. And they don't realize that that the wealth of answers that there are to these statements. So because you love your kids, prepare them. The third thing is I want to say because of you. Apologetics, you bother with apologetics because of you. And I just want to tell a, a brief story here from my own life. So about, it was actually seven years ago, um, something and as I said, I've been studying this for over 20 years, so this is the context. About seven years ago, something um, really traumatic happened to my daughter and criminal. And I, I'm not going to go into it, but it was, it was as you can imagine, as, as a parent, when something happens to your child, it is devastating on you. And... It was, it, it was really, really difficult, and, and I had a hard time with it. But the way that I worked through it um, is I couldn't say, why me, God, or why her, God? I, I, I couldn't say that because I had thought too much. I had thought too much, investigated too much, with the problem of evil and suffering in the world, I couldn't say that. But where was I then? Because the, the pain was still there, the difficulty was still there. And so then I took a step back and I said, all right, well, I, 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 can't, say, I can't say why me, why her? And because of all of my training in apologetics, 
It's not that it was a piece of cake to walk through, but here's the thing. What I had to do because of what I knew is I had to evaluate, here's my experience, here's what I know. My experience is, because I know that not everybody thinks about this, but, but when, when, I, when that happened to her, I couldn't just stay in the, well, this one thing happened to this one person. The, what I do is I, I, do, I do a regress back into all of human history, and I think, well, it's not just about her because lots of other people have suffered lots of other things over the course of human history, so what about that? What about the fact that for the vast majority of all of human history, almost everybody has lived lives of misery and then died and then will end up in hell. What about that? But I already knew enough about the Bible to know that it was true. So here's the Bible on this side saying God is good, God is merciful, God is just, God is love. And I had to wrestle with that because I knew this was true. But I had this experience and I also knew that Jesus says, wide is the path to destruction and narrow is the gate. So what did I do? If, if I didn't have the confidence of knowing what I knew, what would have happened to me? I could, have, I could have just spiraled down and down and down and down into my pain and her pain and just focused on that because pain is real and we all have experienced it and we all will experience it. But it, I don't mean it to sound arrogant when I say I knew too much. Because unless I wanted to live what I knew to be a lie, I know, I know the Christian worldview is true. I know Christianity is true. I know all these other things are false. So unless, unless I wanted to say, this, I am angry, I am hurt, I don't know what to do with this, so I'm going to go over here and do this other thing, I couldn't do that. And, and so many times, I, the scripture was brought to mind where Jesus said, are you going to leave me too? And what did the disciples say? Where else is there to go? So for your own sake, for your own sake, if you haven't suffered yet, you will. Jesus promises it. And have that foundation to rest on. Jesus is our foundation, but he gives us, he gives us all of this that we can, we can know so that when we, have the, when we run into the pain and the suffering of life, we can know these things as well. We can know that we can trust the Bible, that God is good. We may not feel it in the moment, but we can know it. So, I want to really encourage you to, to take this seriously for your own sake for when the hard times come, because they will. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through some scriptures because the fourth reason that we do apologetics is because guess what? Jesus did apologetics, Jesus and the apostles. So I've got some scriptures that I'm gonna go through 
to demonstrate this. John chapter 14, and Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. The point I want you guys to get here is that Jesus never rebukes someone for doubt or for concern. Jesus is perpetually giving evidence and encouraging people to look at evidence. In the story of the paralytic, there is this, there is this interesting dichotomy, the, the one who was lowered through the roof. There is this interesting uh, situation where Jesus is going to forgive the man of his sins. But of course, who can see that? I, and, and they're just, they're going to murmur among themselves, who is, who is this guy? He is setting himself up to be God. Nobody can forgive sins but God. So what does he do? He gives evidence. He says, Jesus says, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. John 10, 37, 38. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me, but if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Matthew 11, 2 through 5. Now, when John, oh, John the Baptist, I'm sure most of you know this, but if, in case you don't, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. They grew up together. He was only six months older than Jesus. If you remember, he was the one that Jesus came to be baptized. John said, what? what are you doing here? I, I, I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. John knew who Jesus was. John saw the Holy Spirit coming down on Jesus as a dove landing on him. He heard the voice of the Father saying, behold my son whom I love. He saw all this stuff. He knew who Jesus was. But, but when John was in prison, then he started to have doubts. And, and, and pay attention to Jesus' response here. Jesus' response to his cousin who knew him his entire life when he had doubts was not to say, seriously, John, I mean, it, you're doubting me? You know who I am. What? No, he said, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? I, I mean, if I were Jesus, I would have thought, seriously. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Instead of rebuking him, he said, Here's what's, here's, be encouraged. Don't forget. Acts 2.22, Peter's sermon at Pentecost, Peter says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So he's appealing to them saying, hey, you guys, you know this. You saw this yourselves. Remember? 
Acts 1-3, he, Jesus, presented himself alive to the apostles after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. John 20, 30 and 31, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Acts 17, 2 through 4, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded to join Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Acts 17, 16 and 17. Now when Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked in him, and he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. A side note on this, Paul, Paul was this amazing man who, who, he was a Jew by birth, he was trained as a Pharisee, but he had all of this knowledge of Roman culture. He could, he could quote Roman poetry, he could go into them, and even if you remember, in that situation when he, when he was talking to them and he said, I see you are very religious. In fact, I see that you have this, this uh, over here to an unknown God. Well, let me tell you about that God that you don't know, but I do. So he, he didn't go in and, and shame them for where, the, for where they were. He went in and he presented the truth. He, he he found a common ground so that they would listen to him, and then he went on to talk to them. He was an expert at being able to reach people where they are, and that is something that we can be better and better at. Acts 18.4, and he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue every Saturday, every Saturday, every Sabbath, and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Acts 18, 19, and they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Acts 24, 25, and as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. The point being is that this was common practice for Jesus and the apostles to reason with people, to try to persuade them, to, to present evidence when they had doubt. If you remember, doubting, uh, maybe some of you are thinking, well, what about doubting Thomas? Even, Jesus even presented evidence to doubting Thomas. When doubting Thomas, Thomas, was with Jesus for all those years, saw all those miracles, and then saw the risen Christ right in front of him. He said, well, I'm not going to believe unless I can put my finger in his hand and my, and my hand in his side. And Jesus, even then, even though he had been with him all those years, even though he knew who Jesus was, he saw all the things, he didn't say to Thomas, Thomas, What's your deal, dude? I mean, I'm standing right here. He said, go ahead and do it. He, even Thomas, he, he did not rebuke him when Thomas was being 
unreasonable because he, he knew. But even then, even when Thomas was saying, hey, give me, give me more evidence even than I've had for these last years that I've been with you, Jesus still said, put your finger right here, put your hand right here and believe. And of course, Thomas fell down at his feet and said, my Lord and my God. So this is what Jesus did. This is what the apostles do. This is what we can do. Again, we are not the Holy Spirit. We, we do our part, and the Holy Spirit does his part, and that's good. So, uh, I want to talk about a few of the upcoming topics just to let you guys know what's, what you have in store for you. Next week is, is going to be the most practical week possible because this is going to be setting, setting kind of a foundation for the weeks ahead. Because who cares about learning all these facts if they just stay up here and, and they're never used? So next week is, is going to be all about how do you easily maneuver in conversations that you have with people? And it's, the pressure is not going to be on you to be clever, to be witty, to have the right thing at the right moment. This is how in your everyday conversations, how can you easily get through those and feel so comfortable. I don't want you guys to be worried about conversations that you have with people because, I mean, you're going to be having conversations for the rest of your life. Um, two weeks from today is Resurrection Sunday. So we will be doing res uh, evidence for the resurrection of Jesus on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, that will be a whole lot of fun. And you can see the rest of the topics. If any of you have any questions, um, there's more topics than that. I just, I, you know, we're going to be doing objective and subjective morality. We're going to be doing various arguments for the existence of God, uh, argument from uh, design, argument from cosmology, argument from desire, argument, you know, all, all these arguments we're going to be the scientific arguments for the existence of God, do not worry about you guys. I'm not a science person, so I don't want those others of you who are not science people to think, I, this is just, this is going to be too technical. It is not at all going to be too technical. Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> um, I want it to be completely accessible. What I'm going to do is give an overview for many different arguments and then give you guys resources if you want to dig further because I want it to be, I want that class to be accessible to everyone no matter where you are. But it's important for believers to know that there is, I mean, an ocean of evidence when it comes to the scientific realm that, that we can feel comfortable and confident in. So don't worry about that. All right, and I'm going to mention too, there is an upcoming apologetics conference um, in three weeks for those of you who are interested further. This happens every year. It usually happens the third weekend in April, but the third weekend in April this year is Easter, so it's the fourth weekend in April. Antioch Bible Church puts it on. Uh, yeah, it, for those of you who are interested, there is information. Here are some of a few of the topics that are coming up um, you guys can look at. The speakers are going to be Josh and Sean McDowell, for those of you who know them. Uh, Josh McDowell 
big, big leader in the apologetics movement, and his son, Sean, um, who has a PhD in apologetics and teaches high school and college age, he is really, really, really great with youth. Um, in fact, he will, he will come in, youth groups will bring him in, and the youth group, the, the youth in the youth group don't know who he is, so he'll come up and he will pretend to be an atheist. And the whole time, he will, he will introduce himself as I'm so-and-so, uh, I'm, I'm not a believer, and it's a very friendly discussion, and, and he is saying, you know, and here's why I'm not a believer, here's why I'm not a believer, and he presents all these things. And the kids, by the end, are pretty shaken because they've got nothing to say because they haven't been trained. And then at the end, he says, oh, you know what, I'm actually a believer, and there are really good answers to all of these. And you can see the collective sigh of relief just, Ugh. And uh, he's just, he's outstanding with youth and kids, and I, I highly recommend him. So for anybody who's interested in that, um, I, I will definitely be going um, if you want to talk to me about that. One final thing as we're wrapping up, and then I'm going to ask if anybody has any questions. And that is, why are you a Christian? This is a rhetorical question. Please don't raise your hand. Why are you a Christian? Why am I a Christian? Why be a Christian? Do you know how hard it is to be a Christian now? I mean, we're not in Saudi Arabia, but, but it's hard. It's hard now in America to stay consistent and strong in your Christian convictions when there's a culture that is constantly coming against you, telling you you're wrong, telling you you're stupid, telling you you're foolish. I can tell you there's one, one reason to be a Christian, one reason only, because it's true. Because it's true. If it's not true, Paul said, we are of all people to be most pitied. But it's true. It's true. And so I want to say a quick word about faith. Because, again, at the beginning, I pointed out that it was believers that pushed back on me because where's your faith? But the, the Greek word, pistis, in the New Testament that is translated faith is better translated active trust. It is not blind faith that the Lord asks you to have. It is trust in the God that comes through. It is, is he trustworthy? Do you trust him? Because I can tell you, a lot of people have faith in a lot of things and it's not going to do them any good if the object of their faith is worthless. We have trust in God who is trustworthy. It is not, I'm going to check my mind at the door and just have some sort of blind faith for no apparent reason. There's no reason for this. I, I actually, um, we're going to get into Mormonism in a few weeks. I, uh, it was years ago. I always invite the Mormons in when they come over. I love having conversations with them. And the, and the Mormons they have this, uh, they have this, I don't want to call it a doctrine, but it's this idea of the burning in the bosom. They say, oh, 
here's the, here's the Book of Mormon, just read it and, and pray about it. And if you have this burning in your bosom, then that indicates that it's true. And I said, I said to this dear Mormon young man, I said, I said, is hanging your eternity on a feeling acceptable to you? Does that work? And I said, does that make you feel comfortable? And he said, he didn't answer. He said, well, are you telling me that if there was evidence that demonstrated that Christianity was false, that you would abandon it? And I said, absolutely. I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hang on to something that I know is false, but I don't need to, I don't need to think about that because there is so much evidence supporting Christianity. I can't go down the road of, well, just pray, and if I have some feeling about it, then that's good enough. Never mind that there's no evidence. I'm talking about Mormonism. So, I want to encourage you. You're a believer because it's true. So, with that, we are, we've got negative minutes left. <laughs> no, we've got maybe two minutes. Um, does anybody have any questions on anything that I've presented or anything about future topics or anything like that? Conlon? What if when you, when you bring up, um, up, bring up the, the, the topic of apologetics in, in everyday conversation, what if um, people think that, that you're just shoehorning your faith into the, into the conversation and that, that makes them have a hardened heart? Um, that is a great question. That is a great question. I do want to encourage you that the hardness of their heart is not on you. If they, have, if they have a hardened heart, you're not the one that caused it by what you said or didn't say. So I encourage you to bring, to bring up your faith in conversation when, when there is an opportunity and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit's going to do because he is capable and he is able. One more thing and then, uh, and then I'll let you guys go unless there are more questions. I do have homework for you. Um, and I do want to encourage you when you come, uh, be prepared if you want to take notes, come with notes, but come also with your objections. Objections that you've heard, um, and this is weekly. So it, as, as, the, as the weeks are going on and the Holy Spirit brings these interactions, because you'll find that this happens, write them down and bring them. You're, and even if they're your own, even if they're these niggling doubts that just won't let you go, you don't have to say they're yours. You can say, hey, there's this person. But bring your doubts because it will really be helpful to the other people and to yourself. We can interact with these and deal with them. So if there are no other questions, I will close in prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you are the God that is trustworthy, that you are the faithful God 
and that you love us so much that you don't demand blind faith, but that you say, yes, I exist and I love you so much. Here, here is evidence demonstrating my existence. Not everything, but I've given you more than enough to make trust in me an eminently reasonable thing. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. And will you prepare our heart, soul, mind, and strength to worship you in spirit and in truth in just a few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen.